At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, we're going to be uh, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy today. And so I want to encourage you to, to turn there. And as you're turning there, um, one of the things that um, I was pretty shocked by was the fact that um, as we're walking through 1 Timothy, last week I was reminded of the most powerful message that God has given the church. God has given us as his children, the, the family of God, he's given us the most powerful message in the gospel. It is the most powerful message of all time. And it is the message that Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's what we talked about last week, right? So we have this most powerful message. And today, as we're going to continue looking at this series, one we're going to see is one of the most powerful tools or weapons that God has given us is that of prayer. I mean, think, think about for just a moment. Like what prayer actually is, right? Prayer is communicating, us communicating in our hearts and with our words to the God of the universe, right? Think about that just for a moment, right? For some of us, we, we, we yearn and we strive for the attention or the affection of our parents, Right, or we, we, we strive or we yearn for the affection or the attention of the person that we love. We want our kids to, to hear us and all of that. And we, we know what it feels like to yearn to be heard. And yet, God has given us, the church, an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who desires desperately to hear from us. Prayer. Man, prayer is both a defensive weapon and it's an offensive weapon. Right? When we go before the Lord, we, we go and we pray for protection. Oh, God, protect us as we walk through this evil world. But then we also pray that God would break down strongholds and that God would move mountains and that God would change and bring transformation. Like the power of prayer is amazing. It's simply talking to God. And this week, as I was doing a little bit of, of research, I was encouraged to find out that most Americans pray. Statistics, statistics will vary a little bit, but, but basically around 80% of Americans pray. I mean, they may not be praying all to the same God, right? But people are praying. We somehow instinctively know that there's a need to pray. Right? When, when, when uh, 9-11 happened, what did we do? We prayed. When a player was injured a few weeks ago in a football game, we prayed. 
There wasn't a re- the response wasn't like kneeling and an objection to, to some political thing or anything like that. No, people prayed. We understand that. The need for prayer. But you know what I found in doing a little bit of research? You know what most people pray for? The, the content of most prayers are about ourselves. And the context in which we pray is by ourselves. So we as a people, as, 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 as a country, as, as people, we, we pray, but what we pray about is we pray by ourselves and we pray for ourselves. Which, there's nothing instinctly wrong with that. Right? We, we are called to pray. We're called to pray in all seasons. And so we are called to pray by ourselves. Right? And we are called to pray for ourselves. Right? Even when you look at the Lord's model prayer that he gives us, he says, pray for your day. God, give us today our daily bread. That's praying for yourself. Right? So it's, it's okay to do that. But 98.9% of our prayers are by ourselves and for ourselves. We're missing out. So we live in a world now that is deeply individualistic. Right, where we live uh, almost isolated from the rest of the world, where really our, our focus and our gaze is on ourselves, or it might even be on the gaze of those that are closest to us. Right, but our gaze is not outward, it's mostly inward. And as we come to the text today, I want us to see that though we, we can pray for ourselves, we can go through the, the Psalms, and let me just share with you some of these that we come through the book of Psalms as the psalmists are praying for themselves. Psalm 3.1 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm 4.1, answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Psalm 5.1, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Give attention into the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. So nothing wrong with it, right? Pray by yourself. Pray for yourself. But today, as we come to this text, I want us to see that in a culture that is moving toward individualism, and where we're called to live individualistic lives, the scripture pushes in and pushes against that. Our prayers need to be more than just by ourselves and for ourselves. We're commanded to pray communally. Right? As we've been walking through the book of 1 Timothy, what we see is the context is, Paul, who is an apostle, is writing to Timothy of how we're supposed to live inside of the church. Like how we're supposed to behave. And so he's giving instructions to the community of the church. And specifically, he's talking about when we gather corporately. Okay, so that's the context we're going to see of the passage we're going to be walking through today. So the, his instructions today about prayer are in the context of community. Oh, you can still take the the, the teaching here and apply it to your individual life, which we'll talk about and you can see. But the context is when we gather as God's people, as spiritual family, prayer should be what we do. We should pray together. I, I found some sad statistics this week about the context of some of our prayer. 
that 13% of people pray for their favorite sports team. While only 12% of people pray for the men and women leading our country. People pray for the lost world about 20% of the time. But also 21% of people pray that they will win the lottery. I see, and people pray. People pray. But it's almost as though we're using this most powerful weapon in an impotent way. We're stripping away the power of prayer because the content of our prayers are not found in what Scripture calls us to pray for. And so today, that's what I want us to look at. I pray today that we are deeply challenged by this passage. I, as your pastor, have been deeply challenged by this passage this week. As I consider the way that I'm called to shepherd us and the lack of prayer that we personally do as a people. Well, we pray. But my prayer is that God would lead us as a campus, as a church, into deeper times of prayer. Prayer to God and prayer for one another and prayer for the issues that face us in our world. So today, as we want to look at this big idea, what I want us to see is that when we gather, we pray. That's what we're called to do. When we gather, we pray. So the question may be, why bother? Why, why should we even bother about praying? And, and why, why should our prayers be big and, and not individualistic? And I want us to understand the simple answer is why we pray together is because God commands it. God commands us to pray. Doesn't want us just to sit back and allow the world around us just to happen, but he's given us the gift of prayer so that we can engage God wants us to pray because he wants to hear us and he wants to respond to his people. I love how James writes in the book of James when he's talking about prayer. He says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Simply. God, the God of the universe, wants to hear the prayers of his children being prayed. And it's almost as though our prayers kind of hold back the power of God because he's waiting for us to ask for it. Right? Even though he knows our needs, even though he knows everything, even though God is completely sovereign over all things, and somehow there's this amazing mystery, right, that God wills all things to his end, God moves all things to his end, and God is doing all those things, yet and somehow in some way he says, my people pray. You have not because you ask not. You want your nation to be healed? Pray. You want families to be reconciled? Pray. Oh, so many times I meet with people and they come and they're like, my life is a wreck. My life is going down this, this hill and, and it, the wheels are coming off. And I'm like, are you praying? They're like, no. And then I'm like, pray. And they're like, I can't. I'm like, well, you're not going to get it fixed. You're not going before the Father saying, God, intercede in this situation. I need help. I am not God. You are God. I need your help. And so my people, we need to pray. 
because we do not have because we do not ask. So we are to pray. What are we to pray for? Well, this is what Paul gives us instructions today in his word. With you, we'll see three things that we're called specifically to pray for. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, first of all, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So what are we simply called to do? Pray for all people. Simply. This, this isn't rocket science. This isn't, this isn't like deep mathematics where we have to like work on derivatives and things like that. Like this is, this is simple. Pray for all people. And Paul says this first of all. In essence, he's saying above all, more than anything else. Right? He has just come off and encouraging us to guard the gospel, right? He says, this gospel we've been entrusted with, this most powerful message, on the heels of that, he comes right back and he says, of utmost, of, above all else, pray. Pray. One of the greatest ways we can guard the gospel is because when we begin praying for other people, it moves us from ourselves to others. And you're never going to be called, or you're never going to be moved towards anyone else unless you see other people. And how do we do that? We begin praying. And Paul is not giving us this a simple encouragement. No, the language that Paul is using here is that of pleading, is of urgency. His words carry weight, strength, and this is a command. First of all, I urge you. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. I love how Paul, is in his teaching, breaks down and gives us four words for prayer. In, in, in essence, it's four different kinds of prayers. When we pray, we can call our prayers one of these things. And first of all, he gives us the word supplication. These words, this word supplications has to do with the fact that we are passionately almost coming before the God of the universe in humble begging, specifically for our own needs. So supplication is begging God for ourselves, for the things that we desperately need, begging God for wisdom, begging God for strength, begging God for courage, begging God to help us be obedient, begging God to help change our hearts and our habits. Supplication is deep groaning for ourselves. Then he says prayers. Prayers are, are bringing the, the needs of people. And it's communicating with God for general blessing and general care. So it's like a word that encompasses a lot of things. So supplications are deep groanings for ourselves. And prayers are general prayers of blessings and, and concerns for the things that are outside of myself. Intercession are prayers of, of coming alongside and passionately appealing to God's favor for someone else. So supplication are deep groanings for ourselves. Intercessions are deep groanings for other people. And then third, or last, fourthly, thanksgiving. These are prayers of, of gratitude and thanksgiving to who God is and thanking God for what he's done. 
The point is, there's, there's not really a difference between the types of prayers. The real point is, is that all kinds of prayers should be prayed for all kinds of people. That's what Paul is getting to here. And this word all here doesn't mean that we are to give all prayers for all people without exception. And what I mean by that is that our, to say that we are to pray for all people is not that we go and get the worldwide yellow book and just begin praying through names. Right? That, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, though, is that we pray for people without ex, with, with, um, pray for people unconditionally. Right? That there's not a limit to who the people we pray for. Right, so many times, like, if you, if you were to just take a look at the content of your prayers this past week, I, I probably, your prayers consisted of praying for yourself and praying for those that are in your inner circle. Right, How, did, did anyone this week continue, are you continuing to pray for the crisis in Ukraine? Are you continuing to pray for the believers that are there? That the church would be strengthened through all of this. Uh, this that, that's not a word of conviction. That, that's just a be reminded that we're called to pray for beyond ourselves. That somehow our lives, because we are followers of Christ, our lives are connected to all the other believers in the world today. And so we are to pray not just for ourselves. Our prayers are not to be exclusive, but our prayers are to be for all people we are to pray for all people everywhere because it is God, not Caesar, that is the savior of the world. And in the church, like Ephesus, they were actually practicing inside the church. And so that's why Paul is being specific here. Inside the church at Ephesus, there was this idea of elitism. Right? That those that were real, there were those that were kind of saved, but then there were those that were like really saved. And the really saved were the ones that gathered together and they only prayed for each other. They, they gathered together in secret huddles where they were just praying that God would bless them, not bless others, that God would give them a deep knowledge, not everyone else. And so what we see is Paul is pushing back against individualistic prayers, but also prayers that are segregated. Our prayers are to be together for all people. We are to pray personally, but we are also to pray communally. And this idea of communal prayer is not just a New Testament idea. We go back into the Old Testament and we can see tons of times in which God's people gather together to pray. Right? We have the, the Psalms of Ascent that we see that, that these are instructions for as God's people make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for the festivals throughout the year, they're to sing these, these prayers. And as, as they're praying these prayers together, what they see and they're reminded that though throughout their lives they're completely scattered, they come and they come and make their pilgrimages and they come closer and closer to the temple. They hear each other praying the same prayers and they are reminded that they are the people of God, the children of God that are called to a mission of worship God, right? Community prayer, communal prayer has always been at the heart of God. And I love what is written in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. This is a familiar passage to you that reminds us the need of communal prayer. We have this promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven, I will forgive them their sins, and I will heal their lands. 
Now, I, I don't want to take that passage out of context because it's so easy to like cherry pick verses and just be, well, this promise applies to me, this promise applies to me. And we need to understand the context of this promise. That promise was not written to you and I. Right? That con- the context of that promise was just after Solomon had completed building the temple and he prays a prayer of dedication to the Lord and says, Lord, this is your place. When you are here, you are with us. And he was praying that God would bless them and that he would never leave them. And this is God's promise back to Solomon and to God's people. And in the context, he says, if my, pe- if, if my people throughout life, they go astray, Right? If, if my people stop following me, if their hearts are turned away from me, then this is a promise that you can come back to me. You can always come back to me. You can always come back to me. And this is the context where he says, if my people, if my children who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them their sins and heal their lands. Now, I want us to also understand, though this wasn't written to us specifically, The truth of this passage does apply to us today. But let's not forget who it's written to. It's to the people who are called by my name. This is not written to the American nation. This is not written to the American nation. This is written to the church if my people who are called by my name, that's you and I. If we, the church, will pray, if we will humble ourselves, if we will turn from our own wickedness, God will heal here and God will heal. That's the promise. He hears and he heals. But it comes from us coming to a place of humble submission. When we find ourselves as a people, the church, walking through seasons of difficulty, when we find ourselves experiencing the consequences of our sins, we should respond by humbling ourselves, praying to the Lord and seeing that he heals our land. Church, we live in a world that is desperate. We live in a world that needs, is so full of need And we ourselves, as the children of God, sometimes we, if we're honest with ourselves, we only get concerned about ourselves. Our eyes have stopped looking outward, and our eyes have looked inward. My prayer for us as a church is that we more and more would become more aware of how big God is, and that our prayers would become bigger, and that we would pray more boldly, And that we would pray asking God because we desperately need him. And even though at work and everything we do throughout our weeks is all about what can I do, what can I do, what can I do. we got to be reminded that we can do nothing apart from him. And that we desperately need him. So when we gather, we pray for all people. Second, we are to pray for government leaders. Look with me in verse 2. He says, For kings and all those who are in high positions, we're to pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul then moves on and he asks us to pray specifically for another institution that he has given us. 
A couple weeks ago, we talked about the three institutions that God has ordained, the institution of family, the institution of government, and the institution of the church. This is where God is saying, you as the church, my people, are called to pray for those kings and others who are above us. We're to pray for those that are in government leading us. Now, we also have to understand the deeply challenging words of this text to the context of the Ephesians. Do you know who was emperor of Rome at the time? Nero. You guys know anything about Nero? Nero was the emperor who led the first siege of persecution of Christians. He hated Christians and used his power to try and destroy the church. There were stories of how he dismembered and dismantled Christians. There were stories about how he would burn Christians alive and use them to light his patios at night. This is not a pleasant dude. This is a deeply troubled leader that was a psychopath. And what is Paul saying? Pray for him. Pray for him. You don't have to like him, but you got to pray for him. And what are we to pray for? Pray that he would come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray that. Pray deeply. So we live in a world where we still have government officials that are over us. Pray for them. Pray that they would have wisdom. Pray that they would have understanding. Pray that they would listen to God's guidance. Pray for our leaders, even if we don't agree with them. Pray for our president. Pray for our governor. Pray for those that are making legislation and and, and policies that impact our lives. Love them and pray for them. Why do we pray for them? Well, verse 2 says, so that we may live, lead peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified lives in every way. What we're not to pray for is that the, the Lord bless our government so our 401k gets padded. It's not what we're praying for. We're not praying for prosperity of ourselves when we pray for our government officials. We're praying for them so we may live peaceful lives. So the the gospel would not be hindered. As we carry out our mission, we're praying that persecution would not hinder the progress of the gospel. That that we would live in a world where policies and, and other things that are implemented in our world would not hinder our gathering together of the saints. Why? So that we may live godly lives, not godless lives, so that we may grow in holiness, so that we would be able to fully walk through in faith, trusting in the Lord, allowing our faith in him and our life in him to grow deeply. We are to pray because prayer changes things. This week I I read a story uh, that Ray Sedman tells he was uh, telling about how the, the chief psychologist of the California prison system noticed something strange as he was looking through some statistical analysis. This chief psychologist was trying to look at the number of riots and outbreaks that were taking place in the California prisons. And one of the things that he noticed is there was one prison where the riots and the uprisings were almost zero. And so he's like, Why, what's going on in this prison? So he goes and calls up one of the chief guards and, and he's talking about the situation and 
You know what the, the guard says? The guard says, there's a group of Christians. Christian inmates, there's a group of Christian inmates that constantly meet together and pray that this would be a peaceful place. And the guard said, you know, I'm not a man. I'm, I'm not a man of God. I'm not all, any of those things, but I see their prayers are working. Each day the guards go into that place, not fearing for their lives. They go in there because people are praying. It is a safe place because Christians are praying. This is not anecdotal. Right? This is the power of God. When God's people pray. So we pray together and we pray for our leaders. Why? So that we can live peaceful lives. So the barriers to the gospel are no longer there. So the gospel can move and people benefit from the prayers of God's people. Prayer actually makes a difference in the world. We gather together and we pray because prayer changes things. So we pray big prayers. We ask God to allow strongholds to come down. We ask God to intercede with decisions that are made. We ask God to soften the hearts of our leaders. We pray that God would bring peace. We pray because this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. This is pleasing to him when we pray. When we put our own politics aside, we put our own preferences aside, and we say, God, I'm doing this because it pleases you. It pleases you for me to pray for those that are in authority over me. And we also pray because God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray so that the gospel can be expanded. We pray so the gospel gets advanced. We pray so that people that are in darkness can be called into the light. People that are enemies of God become children of God. We pray, just like people prayed for us, that we would be snatched from darkness. We would be snatched from that pit and we would be placed on solid ground. We pray because God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Which comes to our third thing we pray for. We pray that the gospel advances. Look at me in verse 5. He says, for there is only one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now what Paul goes on to, to talk about is we see that in, in Ephesus, the people believed and worshipped a, a pantheon of gods. But Paul is reminding us and reminding the Ephesian Christians that there is only one God. And this one God has made a way for us as a sinful man to be reunited to a holy God in our sin, in our shame, in our rebellion. There is a way and a way for us to be reconnected through God comes through one man, one mediator. There's only one way that we get peace with God and it's through the person of Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom. This idea of ransom was a term used for slavery. If you found yourself as a slave, if you were a slave at the time, someone could pay a ransom and set you free. Right? So they had to make a payment 
to make you free. And Jesus is saying here that he himself is our ransom. He gave up his life in exchange for ours. We did the crime, we did all of the sin, and Jesus never sinned, yet he took on our sin and took our punishment on the cross. This is the gospel. That through Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. So Paul understood his calling. Our calling is we're called to preach and teach the gospel. The church is called to pray that the gospel gets advanced. The advancing of the gospel is also dependent upon our prayers. And in our day and age, we pray for people because because of what we're up against. We pray for people in our world because of what we're up against. Look look with me again uh, in verse 4. This is God who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of their feelings. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? See, what we're up against is we live in a world where truth no longer matters. Where people understand, oh yeah, there's, there's truth out there. Okay, there is absolute truth. Okay, I'll give you that. I just don't care anymore. People just don't care anymore about what is true and what is not. What they care about is their feelings. And so truth gets set aside and the only thing that matters is how I feel about something. And if I feel passionately about something, then that makes it true. That's what we're up against. And so in our world, in our day, the chief virtue of today is tolerance and pluralism and sincerity of feelings. And when we don't allow, when we don't allow truth to dictate our feelings and we get that all mixed up, guess what happens? We get completely distracted, we get completely confused, and we're running around like a chicken with our head cut off. That's an ugly sight. Have you ever seen that? It's an ugly sight. Not that your feelings don't matter, but we're praying that people come in, are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Not their truth, the truth. And the truth is Jesus. That he is, that's what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what are we praying for? Praying that people's eyes would be open to see the truth that the truth would reign. For when the truth reigns and we subject our feelings to the truth, that's when we can live in peace. That's when we live walking in the way that brings life and the way that brings truth. So no wonder, no wonder we live in a world that's so confused. No wonder we live in a world that's so distracted. And so we pray for that world. We pray for the world we live in. Oh yeah, we we get involved where we can and we do those things, but the biggest thing that we can do for an unbelieving world is to pray. That's the biggest thing. 
pray that the gospel would be advanced. You know, it's timely that we talk about prayer because today is the beginning of our week of prayer and fasting. Each, each year, we, through Woodside, uh, take a special week. Sometimes we take two weeks uh, throughout the year. Usually it's, it's this time of year and then once in the spring or the summer. But this is our time of year where we kind of as the people of God who are called to this area of service, where we come back and we say, okay, we need to be reminded that we are called to be people of prayer. And so this week, there's opportunities for you to, to pray uh, individually. We do have some information um, about that on your way out. There's the prayer and fasting cards that are out there. And what we're just asking you to do this week is individually spend some time praying over specific areas. Pray for your own personal revival. Pray for family revival, revival to take place in your family. Pray that God would, would send personal revival to our church and that God would send personal revival to our communities. That's what I encourage you to do. Begin with just 15 minutes this week. Say, I'm going to set aside 15 minutes in the morning to pray for these things or, or throughout the day. But also we want to tack on fasting. Now you may not know a whole lot about fasting. I don't have a whole lot of time to go in depth about it. But basically the Bible calls us to pray and fast because in fasting what we do is we give up something. And when we give up something, we now have extra space in our lives, right? I don't know about you, but food takes up a lot of my time, right? I got to think about what I'm eating. I got to cook it. I got to prepare it and all that. And when I fast, I don't have to do that. So what can I do instead? I now have all of this time so I can fill it with prayer. And so we set aside time just to say, hey, I'm going to fast. You may choose to fast one meal every day this week. You may choose to fast uh, sundown um, to sun up. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> you may choose to fast uh, while the sun is out and maybe just have one meal a day. You may choose to do a total fast for the week. You may choose, like, I just wanna encourage you that prayer is so desperately needed in our own lives that this is a time of where we say as a church, this is important to us. And so church, this is important to us. I wanna encourage you just to, to spend time praying individually uh, this week, but also every day this week at lunchtime, we're calling it Power Lunch. I wanna encourage you to, to log on to Facebook and check us out live. Uh, we'll be leading in the time of prayer. Someone else will be, someone different every day this week is going to be leading through a time of prayer. But what a great way, since if you are fasting and you're not having lunch, why not just log on to Facebook and use your lunch time to, um, to pray with us? And so that'll be a time of lead, uh, guided prayer, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to do that. But then we're also going to move all things this week towards our prayer time together corporately. On Friday night at 7 o'clock at our Troy campus, we're all gathering together, all uh, 14 campuses. And we're going to have a night of prayer. We're going to have a night of praise. And it's going to be an amazing time where we ask God to do big and mighty things together. So I say all that to say. Let us not forget that we're called to pray in community. When we see brothers and sisters inside of our church going through difficult times, let us gather around them and let us intercede for them. Let us be those prayer warriors that gather together and say, hey, you don't have to go through this alone. We're, we're coming to the God of the universe on your behalf, asking him to intercede, to bring healing, to bring health, to bring life, to bring encouragement. Let us be people that pray. 
okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we know we live in a world where we are up against a mighty enemy, a mighty foe. But we also know that this enemy that we are against, his demise is ahead. His destruction is coming. And Father, I pray that it's so easy for us at times to feel overcome by the world. Father, we know that you have already overcome the world. And Father, I'm also aware of the desperate needs we see in the world that is around us. So Father, I pray today. I pray today for our president. Father, as he seeks to lead our nation, would you give him wisdom? Would you give him deep understanding and help him legislate and and promote legislation and policies that promote peace so that we may live godly lives? Father, I pray for the House of Representatives and I pray for the Senate, especially as this year as they seek to care for us as a nation. Father, I pray that you would move mightily. I know that there are believers that both serve as representatives and senators. Father, I pray that they would be seekers of truth and you would not silence their voice. But Father, as they speak, give them words. And I pray, God, that we would see our government officials bow and surrender to you. Father, I pray for our governor. I pray that you be with her as she cares for our great state. Father, give her wisdom. Allow her to seek truth and to know truth and to govern from a place of truth. But Father, we pray also for our great nation and the people that are our co-workers, our loved ones that don't yet know you. Father, I pray that this would be the year that we see our loved ones and those that you've put in our lives come to know you. Father, right now I pray that as we are praying that their faces would come before our minds. And that we would pray for them by name. We know you desire for them to come to know the truth. And you've already done everything so that they may experience salvation. They just need faith. And so, Father, I pray you move mightily. And, Father, I pray that we, your church, your children, would be people of prayer. That instead of our voices being full of complaining, our voices being full of concern, that our voices would be full of prayer. God, I thank you for this week. I pray this week we would see you move mightily in our own lives, but also in the lives of our church. And now, Father, as we have the opportunity to worship you, may we do it from a place of sincerity. May we do it from a place of thanksgiving. Would you continue to remind us that you have not left us, but that you are here. You're acquainted with our grief. You know our sorrow, and yet you are our only hope. In 
Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.